When you come and you're saying, Lord, I don't deserve anything. You look how good you've been to us. But Lord, anything I ask for you is because you're just good. So why not ask for anything? Why not ask for this? How does God say no to that? I wonder how much we miss out on because we get hung up by our past sins or failures. Because we don't simply say, Lord, you're good. Will you take me deeper? Not, Lord, I'll get it fixed eventually and then you can take me deeper. But Lord, you're just good. Will you take me deeper? Hello and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. Israel had sinned against God and broken their part of the covenant. The Israelites repented with tears and worship, thinking God would not be with them going to the land promised to their forefathers. But God is merciful. Moses pleads with God to reveal the entirety of his person, to see God in all his glory. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. As we look up to this point, the whole book of Exodus is about God's promise to a new nation, that he would be their God, they'd be his people. He'd enter into a relationship with them. And things have been going so well, but the last 48 hours has been pretty nutty for Moses and Israel. And Moses goes from the bliss of 40 days with God in the mountain, hearing about all the plans God has for the nation and how they're going to have a relationship with him, and how they're going to worship him. And then he goes down the mountain to the horror of the idolatry and immorality that's going on in the camp. And he writes the ship, but God seems unwilling to restore his relationship with Israel. And when the people hear this news, they're heartbroken and they truly repent of their sin. And so when Moses sees this, he says, Lord, don't you see the people? They've, they're coming to you in repentance. And he asks God to look at that and to be gracious. And God is gracious and he agrees to lead them again. And so we can kind of get to this point and you would think this might be the end. You kind of go, whew, disaster is averted. But the story doesn't end here. Seeing God's graciousness, Moses longs to know the Lord in the deepest way possible with nothing held back. And while Moses can't experience all of God's glory, God does show him enough of it to give us the deepest understanding of himself possible for a human being this side of heaven. And thus we enter a holy of holies in a sense of scripture because we see God's glory revealed to man. So chapter 33, verse 18. God has just agreed to go with them again, to lead them to the promised land, that he would be in their midst. And so Moses says, I beseech you, show me your glory. We read that and the word beseech, it means please or I beg you. It's used for heightened intensity or urgency. You know, it's almost like Moses, things are going so well and the Lord's being so good. It's like, Lord, I don't want to stop. You know, just can we keep going further? I don't want to stop where we are right now. And he says, please, I beg you, show me your glory. Now, while this word means glorious presence, glory, that is, it also means the self or one's inner person, in a sense, one's heart. It's like he's saying, Lord, just open everything up and let me see your heart. Let me see you in the fullest way possible. Let me see you in all of who you are. Moses, who's overwhelmed by God's goodness here, that that God's character proved true as he hoped, he longs to know God so completely that his character would never be in question again. He desires to see God without any veil, with nothing between, his heart fully revealed. And I also think he figures, why not ask? God has been gracious enough to grant everything up to this point, no matter how impossible his request has seemed in light of his people's sin. 
And I ask you as we, we get here, and it's hearing Moses' heart crying out for this, do you and I realize how, how gracious God is? Like just how gracious he is, that he is longing to answer? How much his heart is toward us? Are you drawn to present seemingly impossible requests to him because you're absolutely convinced of his love for you? I think sometimes our faith, it can be very audacious, and yet I think it pleases the Lord. The Bible says that he who comes to God must believe that he is, right? And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, I mean, make your crazy request to God. Say, God, I know you love me. I know you absolutely want what's best for me. Would you do this in my family? Would you do this in, in this situation? Would you please move in this seemingly impossible, crazy thing? Do we realize how gracious God is? And are we satisfied in his love and convinced of his love for us? There's another question this makes me ask myself, if not us. Do you and I long for a deeper understanding of his character each day? Or are we satisfied with our current knowledge of him? It's interesting, there'll be those moments in life, you kind of go through your routine, I'll have my devotion, and and I'll pray, and then I'll start trying to work on my study, or whatever it is I'm working on. And then you hear that little still small voice, and he says, hey, uh, I want to spend some more time with you. And you feel that pull, that tug on your heart. Do we respond to that? Or are we satisfied with our current understanding of him? And I'd be saying, well, don't those two questions kind of contradict each other? On the one hand, you're saying, we're so convinced how, you know, how much God loves us that we're satisfied in him, but we're not satisfied. They might seem contradictory at first, but you might say, how can I be full of confidence in my father's love, yet not be satisfied with my understanding of him? Christianity has been called the unsatisfied satisfaction, and I think that's a good way to put it. See, we rest, we're satisfied in the finished work of Christ. Christ. We rest in that, but we're never satisfied with how close we've come to him. We're satisfied in a sense that we understand who we are in him, that our sins have been completely forgiven. We stand righteous before him, and yet we're never satisfied by how much we know him and how much better we could know him. Does that describe your relationship with God? You understand who you are. You're satisfied in that. You're not trying to become more righteous before God, but at the same time, you want more of him. It should be our longing like Moses's was. Well, what will God's answer be? Lord, I beseech you, show me your glory, please. Well, he answers with two affirmatives and one negative, and the two affirmatives come first. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And, this is a second affirmative, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So God says, I'm going to do two things in answer, positive answers to your request. You want to see my glory? I'm going to do this. I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. The word goodness, it refers to the state of moral goodness with absolutely no evil. God says, I will bring my full presence to you. And then secondly, the Lord says, I will declare, proclaim, which means to declare the name of the Lord before you. Now, the word name there refers to someone's standing, someone's reputation. So God is not only going to bring his full presence to Moses, but he's going to fully reveal his character in Moses' presence. Now, these two affirmatives are truly amazing because no human beings besides Adam and Eve had ever experienced this. None. Like some had experienced some of God's revelation of his character. Like Abraham was the friend of God. The other patriarchs had walked with God. Enoch walked with God. But no one had experienced God's full glory and that his full presence being in their midst. And so when we think about this, that God is going to answer this for Moses, I think our concept of God's grace falls so far short of just how gracious he truly is. Because we're not even 48 hours removed from one of the most heinous acts in Israel's history. Yet God is about to give Moses an experience with him like no one had seen to that point but the first two people in creation. Do you know how gracious your God is? And it's almost as if the Lord wants to remind us of how gracious he is because look at what he says in the rest of the verse. The answer is yes, Moses, I'll do two things. I'm gonna make my goodness pass before you and I'm gonna proclaim the name of the Lord before you and will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The word there, gracious, it means here to have pity, to be kind to, 
The word to show mercy means to have compassion, to see one in a trouble and want to help. We read this in context here and it's so beautiful. There would be those who would rip this verse and take it out of its context or create their own context for it and then claim that this proves that God picks some people he wants to show mercy and grace to and then he picks others that he judges, to which I cannot say enough, no, 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 no. One translator said this, the idea is not, I will have mercy on whomsoever I desire or will to have mercy on. The understanding of this is, I will have mercy on anyone, whoever he is, that I show mercy to in the future. In other words, God doesn't owe any of us mercy, but but he loves to do so for all who will come on his terms. Prior to Israel humbling themselves in our last few studies, prior to Israel humbling themselves and showing true repentance, God didn't show them mercy, but now he does. It's almost as if God declares to Moses, Moses, you've asked this audacious thing, but look at what I will do if you come to me in true humility and full of faith. Moses, I want to bless you beyond your wildest imaginations, despite all your sin, despite all your failure, and you're seeing that now because you've come to me in simple faith. Ask us again, do we realize how gracious our God is? He is a gracious God, amen? He is a gracious God. Do you realize how much he loves you? In light of how awesome he is, I would ask the question, how much he loves us, how gracious he is, what are so difficult about his terms? And yet we fight him sometimes. Why do we persist in our own ways when this is what he longs to do for us if we just come simply trusting him? Moses could have said, oh Lord, I've been faithful when these people haven't. Or Lord, you see how we're getting our act together? But he doesn't do any of that. He says, Lord, if you read it up earlier, he says, Lord, you say you're gracious and you know me by name. Lord, look at how we're trusting in you for that. And we're just crying out to you for mercy, even risking our lives to come to this tent to meet with you. That's what I'm trusting in, your goodness, your mercy, and your character. And so you've said you'll be gracious and go amongst us. Lord, I could never earn more of your favor, so why not ask now? Would you just grant me more grace now by showing yourself unveiled to me? And the Lord says, how can I say no to that? (laughs) When you come and you're saying, Lord, I don't deserve anything. You look how good you've been to us. But Lord, anything I ask for you is because you're just good. So why not ask for anything? Why not ask for this? How does God say no to that? I wonder how much we miss out on because we get hung up by our past sins or failures because we don't simply say, Lord, you're good. Will you take me deeper? (laughs) Not, Lord, I'll get it fixed eventually and then you can take me deeper. But Lord, you're just good. Will you take me deeper? So those were the two affirmatives, but God does have one negative part to his answer. Look at verse 20. And he said unto him, you cannot see my face though. There's this hole in there, which means you just can't see my face, Moses. You asked to see me in my full glory. I can't do that. He says, for there shall no man see me and live. The word there for face, it means someone's personal existence, the place or the space of someone's personal existence. We talk about my face. It's me here right now in all of my glory, which isn't much. You're occupying your space and you got your own glory. So the Lord's saying, if you want to understand like the space of my glory, like all of it face to face in that sense, you can't. He says, no man can do that and live or literally remain alive. You in your earthly body cannot handle that. Therefore, that can't happen. Our fallen frame does not have the capacity to see God in his fully unveiled person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to turn there with me, keep your finger back in Exodus 33, but Corinthians 15, Paul explains this truth. Paul explains the difference between the body we have now and the body that will be in the presence of the Lord. In verse 40 is where we'll begin. Paul says, there are also celestial or heavenly bodies and bodies terrestrial or earthly bodies. When the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial, the earthly is another. So in other words, you know, the heavenly body, it's not necessarily that it's inherently superior than this one. God 
gave, you know, created us in his image with this one, and it has a glory to it. But the glory of it is how it functions in this environment. The glory of the new body is because it's going to function in a different environment. He explains, verse 41, there's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. They're beautiful and magnificent for different reasons. Another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body I have now is sown in corruption, but it's raised in something that can't be corrupted, in corruption. It's sown in dishonor, the worst part physically I've ever been at. That's why the body is now no longer functioning, but it's raised up in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised up in power. It's sown a natural body, but is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, referring to Christ, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, the one we have now. And afterward, that which is spiritual. That's the body we're going to get someday. The first man is of the earth, so it's earthy. This body's earthy. The second man, Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, so are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. So as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We don't know exactly what we'll be like when we get to heaven, but we know we'll be like Jesus. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, this body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. This body is not made for God's presence. It's not made for heaven. Someday I'm going to get a new body, one that will probably have all my hair and it will hopefully not be white and not be coming out of my ears. He says, Moses, I can't do that part because I'll kill you if I do that and that's not part of the plan. You know what I love about this though? I'm so glad that God told Moses the yeses before the no, (laughs) that he said, this is what I will do even though I can't do this because it displays God's clear desire to answer our prayers. Do you realize how much God longs to answer your prayers? to reveal himself to you as much as your earthly frame can handle? Now, how will God show these two things to Moses without killing him? Verse 21 through 23. And so the Lord said to Moses, behold, let's check this out. Here's how we're gonna make this work. There is a place by me. Remember, the Lord's presence is on the tent, but it's mostly been up on the mountain. So he's talking to the mountain, which we'll see in a moment. He says, there's a place by me and you shall stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass that while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand. While I pass by, and then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. A couple things here that I don't even know where to start with this, but I think it's interesting that Moses has one simple thing to do stand on a rock. He just goes up there, and you stand on the rock, I'll take care of the rest. And I like that because most of God's instructions are that way. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Lord, could you explain that? No, no, he did it very clearly as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for it. Like when I talk to guys who are prospective husbands doing premarital counseling, when we talk about the roles and responsibilities in a marriage, I turn to the guy and I say, your job is to die. It's that simple. Your job is to die. You love her like Jesus loved the church. That's your job. You don't come home and plop on the couch and say, I'm turning on football. You come home and you say, how can I serve my wife? How can I serve my family? How can I die so that they can live? Now, if in all of that, and you can do that, and then you can enjoy the football game, fine. But the point is, is if you go serve my wife, watch the Bucks lose, it's not watch the Bucks lose because they're not winning. I like that God's instructions are simple because it means someone even as stubborn and hard-headed as me can understand them. We all can understand them and we should all be doing them. God's part fascinates me. Stand on the rock, Moses, and here's what I'll do. It shall come to pass, verse 22, that while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by 
And then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So there's this crevice in the rock that he's supposed to stand on, and God is going to pick him up off the rock, put him in the crevice, screen off the crevice, that's what their cover means, to screen or block with the palm of his hand. And then as he's walking by and he passes, he'll take his hand off and Moses can see the back parts, the afterglow, what's left of the glory of God because he cannot see his face. I don't even know how my words can cover this moment. God's gonna pick him up physically and put him inside a crevice and then cover it with the palm of his hand. It's almost like a Lion King moment or something like that. I mean, it just blows my mind. First off, I'm a little bit upset with Moses here because you were held in God's hand, man, placed in a crevice by the same hand and then screened off by it. And this is all the description I get. I mean, come on, what did it feel like? You know, was it firm? Was it soft? Did it look solid, corporeal? Was it a hand like ours or some invisible force? I want to (laughs) know. But we get no details. And, you know, as I thought about it more, I think I understand why Moses didn't relate that part of the experience. Because God said we're to make no image of him. And I bet Israel and us would have been tempted to duplicate whatever description he gave in the form of an idol. We'd probably have a hand up here instead of a dove or something else. I'm serious. If we had it, we'd have the exact description, God's hand. It's not like we already don't do it when we give Jesus the beautifully handsome face in all of our movies and pictures. And yet the Bible says there is nothing about him that would make him stick out. But the second thing that kind of hits me is, can you even imagine the experience being held in the hand of God physically? I mean, how does one even comment on that? And I have definitely people I want to see when I get to heaven. I want to ask questions. And one of those is gonna be this right here. Moses, what was that like? You can tell me now, I'm in a glorified body. I won't mess it up. What was it like? What was it like when he held you? You know, it's interesting. The disciples said in 1 John chapter one, John says in reference to the disciples, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For that life was manifested, referring to Jesus. And we saw it and we bear witness. We show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father, but then was revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you. Can you imagine what it was like to be John the Beloved, to rest your head on Jesus? He makes a comment of it like three or four times. The man, the one who rested his head on Jesus' breast. Can you imagine to hear the thump thump of God's heart? Moses was in the hand of God. I don't know how long. God placed him into that crevice, put his hand there to keep him safe, screen off, so he wouldn't get crispy crittered. How does one explain that? I feel kind of unworthy to even ponder it. And yet Moses experienced it. But you know what blows me away even more? Moses doesn't talk about that experience beyond mentioning it happened. That's it. That's all we get. In contrast, he gives us every minute detail about what God said when he passed by. What's your point, Will? (laughs) Like Moses, I think we all long to be in God's presence. We long to see him. I mean, how many times have you and I said, God, you just write it in the sky or show up here and tell me or send an angel or something. And we long to be in his presence. We long to experience him in that way. We sing about it. We pray for it. We must learn that any experience of God's presence, this side of heaven, pales in comparison to what his word reveals about him. The knowledge we can gain of him through what his word reveals about him is far greater than being even held in his hand this side of heaven. And so while being in the palm of God's hand is super cool, Moses has that on me. Hearing God reveal his character is way cooler. It's way more awesome. Well, we get to chapter 34 here, and there's a little pause before the whole event happens. In fact, Moses has to go to sleep. But the Lord, he says to Moses, 
Hew you too, and this is verse 1, chapter 34. Hew thee two tables of stone, like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables or tablets the words that were in the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> you know, it's unfortunate there's a chapter break here because this statement by God immediately follows verse 23, immediately. It's almost like Moses, he says, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will. I can't do this, Moses, but this is what I will do because I am gracious, I am merciful. Uh, But Moses, before we do that, we need to talk about something. I gave you a gift to show my people and in your anger, you broke it. (laughs) You need to make that right. And you know what I love? You know what I love about this section of scripture? I've probably taught it at least 15, 20 times because it's, it's so rich to me. In fact, I think I taught about it my first Sunday here. Uh, this was an, you know, I wanted to share this because I felt it's that important. But what I love about these chapters is I don't think there's any place in scripture, any other place in scripture where all the concepts of the gospel meet like they do here. We learn that God is gracious, that God wants to bless us, that God is forgiving. But we also learn that God wants us to be humble. He wants us to cultivate a heart of repentance. And our sinful behavior is never okay with him, even in the midst of how he's blessing us. Even as he's blessing us, when we're in sin or we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, the Lord wants to talk to us about it. He's never just okay with our behavior. We often struggle as Christians to give more weight to one of those desires of God. God wants to bless us, but we don't want to talk about sin. Or we're going to talk about sin all the time, but forget about grace. We often struggle as Christians to hold all of those attributes of God and desires of God in perfect tension. But that's what the Bible teaches. Yes, I stand in the righteousness of Christ by faith alone, but he also calls me to walk worthy of that righteousness in my conduct each day. And when I don't, he wants to talk to me about it. He wants to work on my heart. He wants to change me. That's not condemnation, that's love. That's freedom, that's truth. And so he tells Moses to make two new tablets of stone. Before you come up here, bring them with you. Before you come up here, go make two new tablets of stone so I can remake the gift that you broke in your anger. Uh, We look at it, we think, of course Moses broke them. It's symbolic, you know, and I hear preachers even say that. It was symbolic, you know, they had broken the commandments and so he breaks them. No, the Bible makes a point to say that his anger waxed hot. The same exact word that God used of his anger and how he was gonna destroy Israel. And he says, Moses' anger waxed hot and he threw them down and broke them. So the Lord says, you go make me some new ones because you broke the first ones. That's not on me, that's on you, Moses. And so, secondly, the other command was, be ready in the morning, verse two. And come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with you, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor the herds feed in front of that mount. The Lord says to him, basically, don't let anyone get close to the mountain because I'm going to be revealing my glory to you. I'm going to be there. My full presence, as much as is possible for you to handle, is going to be there. And so I'm going to be protecting you by shielding you with my hand. But I don't want a stray human or animal to come walking up. I mean, that'd be horrible for Fluffy. Just, you know, catches a whiff of, you know, I think there's some good plants up here. It comes on up. You're like, wah! You know? And you're having lamb chops. But you know what's kind of interesting? He says, be ready in the morning. I don't think I'd have slept much. Would have you? I'd have been giddy and terrified all at the same time. You know, am I going to live beyond tomorrow? You know? <laughs> but so excited that God had answered my prayer and that he would do it. Can you imagine a night of anticipating God's own hand picking you up and his glory revealed? Well, verse four. So he, Moses, hewed two tablets of stone like unto the first, 
And Moses rose up early in the morning, and he went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. I love that it mentions he got up early. No doubt he couldn't wait. He just had to get up there. I found rising early to spend time with the Lord. That isn't a struggle when I'm excited in my heart to meet with God. When it's more of a religious ritual, then it is harder. And you know what I found when that's kind of my mentality towards my devotions anyway? When I put it off until later, it becomes harder and harder to get excited about spending time with him. And it reveals that as the real problem with me is not my discipline in Bible reading, but it's my love for the Lord. And I need to kind of bring my heart back to him. God is loving and merciful. All his character and person is reason to worship and love him. God desires to bless us, but can only do so when we draw near to him on the basis of his goodness, not ours. On the basis of his goodness, not ours. What a great loving God we have. Did you know you can call us and ask for any physical assistance or spiritual need? We would love to pray for you. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.